the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. Hello! Welcome back to XR Star, your monthly podcast where we talk all things extended reality and metaverse. I'm your host, futurist Amelia Kalman. Today, organizations across industries are dipping their toes into the metaverse. Some are experimenting with virtual showrooms, whilst others with collaborative virtual workspaces on immersive enterprise platforms like Engage VR, Meet in VR, and Glue. Others are buying virtual land in Web3 metaverses like the Sandbox and Decentraland. While a majority of people still interact with the metaverse and spatial gaming environments through PCs, laptops, consoles, tablets, and smartphones, all the major technology companies are currently working towards the same objective, to introduce a third must-have personal device into the consumer market, one that is optimal for experiencing immersive and virtual experiences. In the next several years, we can expect companies to create compelling use cases intended to entice the general public to find benefit, advantage, and value in owning this third personal device, in addition to a smartphone and computer. As a result, the internet and its user interface will reconfigure to best serve these devices, as it previously did with smartphones. Advances in networking, Web3, and generative AI are now converging with XR and this future spatial internet we often refer to as the metaverse to create whole new opportunities, industries, as well as risks. Today, I am thrilled to have a leading metaverse XR and Web3 expert on to share with us some of her latest insights into how we can implement strategies today that will best support our business needs of tomorrow. Linda Ricci is an emerging technology strategist with over 25 years experience. She recently led Meta's $150 million immersive learning fund, is a judge at the annual MIT Reality Hack, is a board member of the Virtual World Society, and runs Decahedralist Consulting, a boutique consulting firm that helps companies and brands navigate the ever-changing landscape of emerging technologies by crafting entry, marketing, and monetization strategies. Been really looking forward to having her on this show for a while. So without further ado, welcome, Linda. Thank you, Amelia. What an introduction. I have to do one clarification. I was not leading the $150 million fund. I was part of it. I can't take that from Monica Aries, who actually was leading it. So I have to I have to do that. I have to do that. I have to be fair. But I was helping set up global partnerships for Meta and the Immersive Learning Fund. And uh, the idea was to train the trainers. So to make sure that uh, immersive education is available across the globe for everybody in the future, we need to have people making it and doing it. And that's what I was helping do, which I think is an amazing, that was I, the opportunity to do that was was too good not to join better for that. Absolutely. That's a very cool initiative. Yeah. And I would love to know more about how you got started in this industry. 
<laughs> I think I was born into it. I, I've been, I think obsessed is a very good word with graphics and 3D graphics ever since I was in grad school many, many moons ago. And I've been waiting for years for, for us to reach the point where we have mass commercialization of all these technologies. Um, I was involved, uh, I had a graphic design business in graduate school, and I went on to work for multinationals after that, you know, launching products for them. But I was obsessively doing graphics at night. I'm also an artist um, and have kept up with the, the, the development of all of that. I've been talking and thinking about the impact of 3D spatial computing on everything from business, society, humanity. Uh, I mean, I was a big second lifer back in the day, and I worked with clients to get into second life. Um, so it's been a progression. Uh, it's something I've been waiting for for a very long time. And I think my interest comes from a bunch of, of different areas. One is, of course, just as an artist, the idea to create any world you want and change the laws of gravity and make that work or whatever you want to explore that appeals as an artist. But as a, as a human, I think 3d, uh, interaction and spatial computing is, is the more, much more natural way to interact. And, you know, we, we, we evolved to become 3d creatures. So the fact that we will be able to interact in a spatial way with digital tools is something that I think is a very powerful future for all of us. Nice. Yes. And it makes sense. And I wonder how you describe your job and what is your favorite part of it? I, I don't really have one job. <laughs> I think it's become more of a portfolio career the older I've gotten. Um, I, I'm currently doing um, some work, a lot of work as a board member for the Virtual World Society. So we're kind of in the middle of a relaunch a little bit. And I'm helping doing strategic initiatives for them. Um, I'm also working, well, actually decahedralist, and I, I applaud you for being able to say it correctly, because while I am very good at coming up with company names that nobody else owns, I also am apparently good at coming up with ones that nobody can say, so I appreciate that. Um, decahedralist, I mean, it's, it's an offshoot of um, what I've been doing forever, which is, you know, emerging technology strategy and understand the impact of it and what companies can then do to make sure they stay competitive. Um, I'm currently talking with uh, other people about expanding that service offerings to include um, more soup to nuts, so not just the strategy up front, but also the implementation and, and all the things um, that I think people really need. And it really comes back to the same thing that any business strategy is, is what is your objectives? What are your goals? Who are your target market? What are your, you know, what are your differentiators? And then understanding how to take advantage of the tools that are out there to make sure that you can achieve all those things. So that, that's basically decahedralist. Um, and that came from the word decahedron. So just in case anybody's curious, it was a complicated subject with many sides and that's where that came from. So, uh, so that's where I am. I, I'm in a, a state of change as always, I think is normal for these days for most people, uh, morphing into hopefully a bigger, um, a bigger company with other people and partnerships. Nice. Very cool. Yes, I did have to practice that name a couple times, but um, I think it's great. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's decahedralist, like mentalist. Yeah, yeah. I was. <laughs> so this is either a very basic question or a very deep question. I'm not sure which you can tell me. But okay. how for clients, how do you answer the question of why? If clients maybe don't understand new technologies and the possibilities, you know, why they might say, why do I need an XR strategy or metaverse strategy or Web3 strategy? What is your answer to them? Well, I think to stay competitive, I think all these tools, every every generation of tools we have increases efficiency, increases 
profitability potentially, increases reach, in increases the opportunity to create relationships with your customers, uh, increases new ways to, to get new customers. So depending on what your particular situation is and what you need, um, it's, it's the next generation of tools that will help increase your business. Um, so again, it depends on your, your particular situation, what you need, but it is another tool in the tool set. Um, it's, it's not going to take over everything, but I think if you want to stay competitive with the rest of the world, you need to make sure that your business stays up to date. And when it comes to spatial computing and XR and metaverse and web three, what do you think is key to developing a robust and successful strategy? And then also, I guess, as a follow-up question, do you treat these all as one strategy or do you work with people in separate, do you separate these into separate categories? Well, I think the first step is to realize that just because it's there, it doesn't mean you have to use it. You have to use it smartly. Um, I can't tell you, like back in the day when I said with, with Second Life, we had clients um, and big CMOs of large corporations going, we have to do this. And you're like, well, let's go back and talk about what you're trying to achieve and who your customers are. And in one case, you know, the, the clients that they were trying to reach or had a, a relationship with were 55-year-old men traveling midweek. Uh, in in mid states, then they don't necessarily want to have a relationship with you and you know visit you in virtual worlds. Like, what is your who are you trying to talk to and what are you trying to achieve? I think are always the basic questions, regardless of what the technology is. But understanding that these are tools that can enhance and bring new opportunities is one side of it, and the other side is not just doing it because it's cool, because it's hype, because it's the thing to do. Um, because that never, you have to ground it in actual, what are you trying to do? Um, and it always goes back to that basic, you know, strategy of, of understanding that and how do the tools work together? I think web three, um, you know, the, the transaction layer of the internet is an interesting one. We still have a lot of evolving to do there. We're still all such baby steps with all this baby, baby diapers. I call the industry still, we're just coming out of it. Um, you know, but there's, this is an ecosystem of technologies that work together. So there's a transaction layer, there's the identity layer, there's a creation layer, there's, the, there's all sorts of interaction, you know, and other layers to the metaverse, which is an ecosystem. Um, so each of these things do not work in silos. They work together with other technologies and to enhance and create the opportunities that you need for your business. And, and it, it sounds very boring. It's very MBA-ish. I know that, but you want to make sure that you do it for a reason, not just because it's cool. Now, with generative AI taking up a lot of this new tech hype, what is the current climate amongst your clients when it comes to XR and Metaverse? Are they still into it? Do you think they understand it? Or do you think that all of a sudden AI has taken over the focus? It's the hype cycles that kill me, that kill me, because AI and XR work together. AI is the um, transaction and other layer. It can be the creation layer. It can be the interaction layer. Natural language, I think, is very exciting as a branch of AI. So the ability to have digital humans that represent your brand and that you can interact with and talk to, I think, is a, an opportunity for customers. I think for on a human level, the opportunity to have um, a digital being, whether it's a pet or a ball of light or a human, whatever you want it to be that you can actually talk to is, is a very powerful, you know, and to loneliness kind of a thing. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So I, I think that if you look for the hype cycles, it's overwhelming. 
if you, and the answer to your question specifically is no, I still think a lot of businesses don't really understand it. But and if they do understand, at least, uh, and people are intelligent, like they read, you know, so it's not like they don't know, understand the impact, especially when it comes to training and more of the B2B stuff. They're, they're stuck at how to roll it out a lot of times. They don't, it's the rollout that is where they are sticking. It's just where I'm talking to people about being able to service that, that part of it. Um, so I think there's different levels of knowledge. I think there's sectors that are still slow to catch up. Um, and I think there's a lot of curiosity, but there also, there's so much hype. And, and then all of a sudden, I think metaverse is a dirty word for a lot of people. Um, XR, I'm rephrasing a lot of the stuff I talk about in terms of next generation computing and digital transformation, because that's what it effectively is. It's another tool, tool and tool set and another iteration of all these generations of technology that have come before. Um, so it's how it works as a portfolio of, of products and ecosystems of technologies that's more important. But if they are interested in that message, I'm happy to talk. Um, there are still plenty of people that just hear the word metaverse and just shut down. And I understand that. There's just too much hype. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this industry is often criticized for overhyping. And I think it's, you know, I was talking to Mitch, our producer, about this earlier, whereas I look at a technology today and, yeah, it might not be perfect, but I can see where it's headed and what that potential is eventually. And so I think it's not so much the technology that's being overhyped, but there's also this the it's the timeline of adoption. You know, people take much longer to adapt and adopt. And wondering from your perspective, do you think that people are adopting things slower or faster? Or do you think that this is the expected pace that, that we should be getting used to? Or what's your thoughts on that? I was around, obviously I was three, but I was around when the internet launched and I was kind of, I was involved with that in the early days of getting brands and other companies and people, you know, involved with that. It's no different. A lot of it, um, there's a lot of resistance. The, the one big difference is that brands back then wanted nothing to do with it. They were scared to death that their brand was going to get diluted on the internet. And now it's a lot of the luxury brands leading it, which is wild for me because that was not the case back then. Um, I, I agree with you. We're so early still in terms of uh, everything we can do with this technology and the connectivity that's required and the battery life and the interaction and how the headsets, you know, fit and you need a headset or, or a hold up phone in India. They apparently all have this still the Google Cardboard is what they use, but it doesn't matter. They're all accessing it. I think the opportunities, particularly for education, for healthcare, for, for all these wonderful things that is not gaming. I think people still think of gaming in terms of adoption. I mean, what I, my, my forecast for this year kind of was, that all the hype is going to go focus on AI, which, by the way, is part of the metaverse too, but fine. Um, and that we would just slowly be able to actually work on making things work better, as, as has been happening. I think it's inevitable that it's going to happen, um, because if you think about it, typing is not a natural way to interact either, right? Neither are screens. And yet, because we have grown up doing it, we're so used to it that we think it's normal and using a mouse, not in, not not intuitive, not normal either. And I think we, this is such a much more uh, an intuitive way to interact with, with digital and computers that it will become the de facto. Um, but right now, it was going to take more time. Um, I think we have reached uh, what I'm calling the escape velocity point which is where we don't question when there's a recession, whether cell phones are going to su survive, right? Nobody goes, oh, I don't know. They're not, I don't know if they're going to survive. 
everybody was talking about the metaverse like like that again. Um, we haven't we haven't reached that escape velocity where it's just so ubiquitous nobody talks like that. But I don't think it's going to stop anymore. Um, just slowly and surely, there's going to be you know things are going to start to work better and more easier more easily. And then slowly and surely the adoption will happen. Um, I think in a lot of times we have to stop, to, as an industry, we have to stop talking about the technology and start talking about what it does for people. And there are plenty of examples of people using augmented reality and they don't even realize it's called that and it doesn't really matter. It's a lens, it's a, it's a try-on outfit. Whatever it is, they're doing it and they don't even realize it's augmented reality. And the same thing is happening with AI. I see a lot of people talking about how scared they are of AI. I'm like, you use AI every day in so many touch points of your life and you don't realize it because it just works. And so it will get to the point where it just works. And when it's the air we breathe and the water we swim in and it just works and we use it, we won't be, it, it'll be, it'll just slowly get there. And I, it will get there. It's just going to take another couple of years. Um, there's so many barriers and so many things that need to work together seamlessly and, and, and it's going to take time. So we're still in very early days, but the benefits I think, are obvious and 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 you can there's so many use cases of it being such a wonderful tool so it will it will be in addition to what we already do um and it'll just slowly slowly be there and what do you think are some of the biggest possibilities and benefits when it comes to the convergence of ai and xr specifically yeah i talked about them a little bit i think a technology's best use case is when it can help humanity, right? I mean, why? What, what better can you can you do than helping each other? Um, I did a talk at AWE, I think two years ago now, and I redid another one recently, the same talk updated, because things change so quickly, about the intersection between AI and XR, specifically natural language and machine learning uh, branches of it. And the end to loneliness, I love the idea that, you know, we've moved away from villages and communities where we had support and a network and we don't have that as much anymore. And people end up, especially in their, not only, see, it's not only about older people, but, you know, the lonely and, and, and disenfranchised and sitting in their house by themselves kind of thing. And the opportunity to have um, a pet that you can talk to, as it were. Um, whatever the form you want to take. I, I mentioned that before. Like, I, I love the idea of the end of loneliness. I love the idea of, um, there is a, uh, this is an example. There was an example of a woman who was disabled and her son lived far away and they used VR uh, to meet and they would dance together and they would dress up their avatars in like tuxedos and evening gowns and they would go dancing together. And I just, that, that, that elimination of distance and the connection is where I, I love VR for. Um, I love the, it's, it flattens the world even farther. It, 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 it gives you the ability to interact and, and learn and meet people from everywhere. And um, we said the same thing about the internet back in the day though. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but I just think that's one of the benefits. I think the healthcare applications for VR are spectacular. The, I keep talking about the applications for um, Alzheimer's and how there are in the UK, there are actually um, old age homes that are using uh, VR to help treat Alzheimer's patients on a daily basis for 10 minutes a day. They get to walk on a beach or, you know, be where they grew up, wherever it is. And they have measurable in decreases in their anxiety levels and their anger. And, you know, you're very angry when you have Alzheimer's and you don't quite understand what's happening, but not just for when they're doing it, but for the rest of the day, like it's a calming thing. Um, I love the applications for phobia reduction and 
um, for PTSD treatments and for pain reduction and for making people happier and distracting them. Like there's so many wonderful, wonderful applications for VR. So that's one. And then in terms of AI and the generation, I think once we make it easier to make um, immersive technologies, because right now I, I also make VR and it is not easy. It's a constant learning process forever. Um, many programs involved to get it to work properly. Um, but it's, you know, when we can have AI that you can generate meshes, which is starting, um, albeit young, um, and you can start creating and we can give the power of creation to everybody. That's when I think there's going to be more interest in, in being involved with, with immersive tech because it's, it's not just a game that somebody mega studio makes or whatever. It's, you know, people creating things. It's the MySpace era all over again in a way. Um, I'm doing something personally. I grew up with a family from lots of places, uh, many countries, and um, we are, I'm, I'm recreating the house I grew up in in VR for my mother um, so that we can have parties there oh, again no. with people with all my family from different places. So that's another example of connection that I think and she's never done VR and I'm, I think she's a little nervous, but um, I, I've, had, I've roped her into recreating the house properly and where the shelves go and things like that so that we can have parties there again. And it's that, it's that connection that I think is just such a strong thing about VR. Um, and I love AR. I love the idea of being able to have another layer of, you know, digital over our, our existing world is almost like another, you know, dimension that that is is invisible until you look through a screen. So when that gets easier to access as well, and it isn't holding up the screen and finding it and placing it and all that stuff, I think it's an amazing opportunity to have to bring entertainment into our space, um, to to actually do theater in the round, um, especially with lidar mapping when it can map out our our room and it can you know superimpose the Star Trek over it, and we can be in the middle of it. I think the opportunities for entertainment are huge. Um, so it's that connection, it's that entertainment, it's that being many places and being anything you want and being anywhere you want that I'm really excited about. Yes, absolutely. And those are some great examples. I love that idea about doing your house. That is so sweet. I want to come to that party. I hope I get an invite. Yeah. <laughs> have massive parties so we're going to have more massive parties in vr and my mother's like what about the sliding doors i'm like we don't really need sliding doors in vr but all right i'm going to recreate the sliding door uh, you know but we had this amazing house so i'm gonna I'm, I'm redoing it but it was funny because we were sitting there i'm at my mom's house right now and we were sitting there last night you know going where was the shelf and it's been 20 years since we sold the house so you know these little details you don't quite remember i'm like it's going to be close enough mom close enough uh but yeah i think that's a fun project but i had a friend from italy who was the same he did never done vr he's a big research scientist he's very techy and he won't try vr and i said instead of having to fly to italy once a year to be your family how about if you could do it every month in vr and you could just visit sit around a campfire with each other and virtually and actually have that connection. So it's that that's the part of XR that really intrigues me personally. It's the the, the alleviate the human condition is is the the part of it. And there's so many other things about it that are fantastic, but that's the part that really grabs me. Well, you kind of touched on this, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think from a creativity point of view? What what's are you most excited about its capabilities in the future? I've always been intrigued with the idea of world building. Um, and making worlds, like changing the laws of physics and, and, and translating that to what would that look like physically. So, you know, 0.5 gravity, everything would be really tall and skinny or like just coming up with lots of um, alternatives and exploration, really. Um, my, my own artwork can get kind of out there. I'm not lying. Um, I love, I love, I mean, that's the artist me, right? I have, so I have 
I haven't done much with it, but I have uh, Lindopolis <laughs> for Linda. And I have an archipelago of islands, and every archipelago has a different set of, set of rules. Um, and I've designed, you know, glass creatures on one with nasty dragonflies. And, like, I, I just love, for me, exploration is the fun part. Um, but I, I, I'm yeah. part of, um, I think, I think a lot of people, I mean, I noticed that with Second Life, about 80%, 90% of what people built was kind of their own living room, just nicer. So I think whatever your comfort level is with exploration and adventure, um, I love that. Um, I think there was, this, I don't remember the exact number, but I know with traveling, people who travel with VR are much more likely to actually explore the world as well afterwards so it reduces that hurdle to getting on a plane and going somewhere if you've never done it before um you know um mm. without, the, without the food poisoning and the smells um and i'm talking about you know i've backpacked around asia a lot so i i had all that but um i think i think the opportunity for adventure and producing reducing the barriers to trying something new and then maybe you'll go try it in the real world um is is exciting yeah yeah, I like that answer. That's really sweet. And I wanted to ask you about a topic that I, I think you've been speaking about um, recently is about inclusivity and equality and whether these new technologies can um, help us to contribute to living in a more equal and inclusive society, or is there a risk that it could further divide us? I think both. I think both. I think it's an awesome tool for people to explore alternate identities. Um, I think it's a wonderful place for people to feel safe and interact that way. Uh, that That's a wonderful thing about it. On the other hand, I think you can actually perpetuate stereotypes because if you have an avatar that looks a certain way, um, people will flock to you or stay away from you and you can aggregate around birds of a feather again. So humans are tribal, right? We like to stick with what we know in a way. Um, so I think it's a, it's, a, it's both, both, both is the answer. I think we, I don't know. And I, I, no one, I don't think could have ever, ever predicted what would happen with the internet, um, where, where it's gone in terms of tribal and messaging and, you know, ex increasing all of what it's done. Um, and the good, there's always good too. Um, but I think it's both. I think it's both, but I think, I think the opportunity to explore identities is a very strong one. Um, what I've heard a lot of people yeah. doing. They're going, yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to experience what it's like to be whatever, you know, personally, I, my avatar is a centaur. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> you could be whatever you want is the beauty of it. And, and I think that's, that's a very yeah. powerful thing for people. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you sort of a more general question about shaping the industry. So we tend to talk a lot about the companies when they, every time there's a new headset, you know, there's all kinds of buzz right now about Apple's versus the Quest 3 versus I think Google and Samsung. And, you know, and then of course we have the ones that have been tried and tested. Um, so as far as your opinion, do you think the hardware does the most at shaping the industry or do you think it's software or do you think it's user interface? Do you think that um, the software and user interface get enough attention <laughs> um, with all this hype around hardware? What do you think is most key to shaping the future of this industry? I think the key is that they all have to work together um, hardware is important because you can't mm. access it otherwise, but it is just the tool. Once you're wearing the tool, you need the content. Without the content, you don't keep putting on the hardware. 
Um, and that was one of the comments. I'm going to get a lot of pushback for this because as soon as you critique Apple, you were just persona non grata everywhere, apparently. Um, I am not critiquing Apple. I am an analyst and I am analyzing it. And I said I haven't seen their content. So until I know what their content is and until I understand how their, their headset is supposedly better, different, and all those things than the other ones that are out there, because there's some very good headsets out there. I'm not going to have an opinion. I think, but the point, ultimately, what keeps you coming back is not the hardware. It's what you do when you're there. It's the experience you have. So I think democratizing content creation and making it easier to make and having more sources for it and more different types of people's needs and interests met with the content, because it isn't just about gaming. There's a lot of gaming, but there's also other stuff. We need more of the other stuff. I, I'm not a gamer. I, I can't stand games. I've never liked games in my entire life. Um, um, in six-year-old, I wouldn't play Monopoly. I just never liked games. I don't like games. I like to create. Um, but there's, you know, yeah. I, I do creation. But there's so many different people out there, different types of people who like different types of things. And there isn't enough experiences and content out there for them yet. So um, the... The enabler is the headset, because without it, you can't do it. And they need to get lighter, cheaper, all that stuff. Um, higher res you know, resolution degrees would be nice. There's a bunch of things that would be great. But they're just the enabler. Ultimately, it's the experiences that, that drive people's engagement. So it has to be both. But without one, you can't have the other. And before I get to sort of our final questions, I do have to ask you a bit about Web3. I know it always scares Mitch, our mm -hmm. producer, when we start talking about Web3. But we have seen now <laughs> NFT scams and crypto scams and bad actors yeah. in this space. But the underlying technology yeah. is still potentially revolutionary. So where do you see blockchain mm -hmm. technology going next? And, and do you think a decentralized internet is possible? And if so, to what degree? I think it's possible. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary. I, I think it can be one of, first of all, we'll talk about the different parts of, of Web3, right? That might be the more fair thing to do because uh, there's the, 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 the payment layer, which is the crypto, right? Or the NFTs, whatever you, um, but the blockchain underneath it is a, is a technology that can be used for other applications. Personally, I, I am more excited about the opportunity for decentralized identity, um, and um, using blockchain for that. And there are companies that are doing that. I also think that interoperability is a big deal for the metaverse in the future and being able to have that identity and buy things in one, take it to another, have it always be yours um, is important. And decentralized blockchain comes into play there. So having your own assets, identity, take with you and you can parse out as you want in various places is important. Um, I think there has to be a transaction layer to the a payment layer to, to all of this, because without that, there's no economy. Without economy, there's no companies because there's no profit. So there's no point. Um, and, and, or artists, because they don't get paid. Like there's, you need to have a payment layer. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be blockchain. Um, it can be the regular old credit cards too, especially if it's web-based XR. Um, and they already have HTTPS and all the protocols in place to do it. Um, so I think blockchain is important because it gives the user their own keys to their own identity and their own assets um, and their own transactions. I, it, I don't think it has to necessarily just be that. So it very early became something that people latched onto as a currency transaction layer, but I don't think it has to be the only one. Um, and 
yeah, there's a lot of scams and all that going on. Um, there have been a few, I just, you cannot believe how people come up with them, but they do. I, I don't think it's endemic to blockchain and currency crypto that it has to be, but we are in that phase. And I'm afraid that that is going to have so much of a precedent that everybody's going to back off. Um, but I think decentralized mm-hmm. computing is important. There, there have been 51% attacks. They have proven that they can disintermediate and crack blockchain, which is supposed to be immutable um, and all that. So uh, time will tell. I'm, I'm, not, I'm on the fence about blockchain. I've been involved with blockchain since Bitcoin was 11 cents, and no, I didn't buy any. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting... I, I like the applications of blockchain that are not currency-based. And I think we have currency systems in place that are robust and have experience staying safe. So if I wanted to use my MasterCard to buy an asset, I think that that's also possible. should be fine. Um, What the problem you have with um, identity is on, on, in the metaverse is that you have to be able to verify that the person who says they're this avatar is actually who they say they are. And I think that's where decentralized and blockchain comes in. So the identity part of blockchain is what I'm interested in personally. I like that. I think that's a great answer. Going to get blown back for that too. <laughs> we have such rabid fans for all of these little slices of technologies, right? And if you if you cross them, they, they do tend to get vocal sometimes. So my apologies if it's my opinion. Everybody has their own, um, but that's the way I look at it right now. So looking at the bigger picture of the whole XR industry for a minute. What is your biggest fear for the future of this industry, and what is your biggest hope? I think my biggest fear is that it's going to lose so much momentum right now that the funding that has slowed down will will evaporate. And I don't think it's going to die, but it takes a lot of money and a lot of resources to make this stuff work together, and it needs to work together in the future. So that's I think it will happen. It'll just happen a lot more slowly. Um, I'm also worried about what happened in Second Life back when was that it started out being this open environment where everybody was, you know, visiting each other. And my friend made, you know, roaming elephants that sang and it was really fun. And then everybody started putting up force fields on their islands and all of a sudden it was not very open. And that is my worry about this Mm. as well, is that it does take a lot of money and resources and the large companies are going to put up walled gardens and they'll have little walled gardens. And the point of the metaverse is that it is a, like the internet, there's one, and we can traverse across it and experience different things as part of that ecosystem. And I'm worried that the walled garden thing is going to happen and it's going to be very much siloed. Um, my hope is that it helps humanity. As I said before, I love, I love that. What, what, better, what better can you do than to um, advance humanity? And not to sound too esoteric or out there, but I think this technology has the opportunity to connect people and to, to, to solve a lot of the problems we have because we can work together in a much more natural way and connect in a much more natural way. So I hope that's what happens. Well, thank you. That is a lovely conclusion. And I really appreciate your insights and everything that you have shared with us today. And if people want to get in touch or know more about you, what's the best way for people to do that? I appreciate that, Amelia. Um, It's uh, lindaritchie.com, R-I-C-C-I.com is my website. And that's through there. you can find me anywhere else. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, and all the usual places, but um, lindaritchie.com is probably the easiest and best way to reach me. Thank you.
Fabulous. Thank you so much, Linda. And thank you all so much for tuning in, watching and listening wherever you may be. Stay tuned for the next episode. See you in a couple weeks. Take care. 